It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Plotcast, a weekly adventure in the British countryside from BBC Countryfile magazine. I'm Fergus and I'm your host, and this week I'm on a riverbank between Bath and Bristol, wading through floodwater, the wonderful company of writer, documentary maker and TV presenter Philippa Forrester. And we're talking about her book, Wild Woman, which is a deeply personal and poignant exploration of the women who work in nature conservation and the challenges they face in what is a pretty much a male-dominated world. It's also very personal about Philippa's life and the challenges that she's encountered and how nature has helped her. So join us as we splosh through the water and talk about the deep things of life and nature. Philippa, lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming out on a sort of cold, dank February morning. Yeah. But um, where in the world are we? So we're West Country, fairly near Bristol. But in the in the countryside, very much, and um, it's sodden. <laughs> very sodden. Very sodden. We got wellies. We're we're, um, we're going to have to brave a bit of flooding. So we're right between the canal and the no. This yeah, is just the this river is an Avon. interesting river network. So we've got the Avon, and but with, there's a lot of canal off it, so to speak, and often running parallel with it. And so we've got lots of long boats here, lots of narrow boats. I mean. Um, it's actually quite a scary... I think of narrow boats on sort of quite peaceful little canals, but the river's boiling away here. It really is. And the there are times water. where it's worse than this. I've seen it really, really high. And I guess, you know, you're not going to flood. You're going to just go up a lot if you're, if you're living on a boat. But the worry is if you become untethered because 
when these rivers get high, they really, really get high. So we're here to talk about your, your book, your new book, Wild Women. Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, I've read it, but could you tell the listeners a little bit about what the book's about and what drove you to, to write it? Well, it was born with a natural, I think, affinity with the natural world, which I, you know, have indulged myself in. But also, having then lived in America for so long, in Wyoming and right near Yellowstone National Park and Grand Teton National Park, I became really interested with the difference between surrounding ourselves with nature and actually surrounding ourselves with proper wilderness where there are predators and it is dangerous aside from just the predators you know proper proper wilderness which we don't have much of in this country if any I would suggest because there's certainly mild peril occasionally yeah I mean we don't have intact ecosystems with big predators I'd worked for Bloomsbury before I'd written the book about wolves for them And was really interested, and they were really interested in exploring this idea of our connection with wilderness and whether we really need it or not as humans. And as I was going along, and I'd done a few interviews already, I suddenly realised how male-centric it all was and how that didn't seem to relate to me much. And I became more and more intrigued by the female evolution you know how have we evolved to be in the wilderness then because we have but we've also evolved you know to be with our reproductive cycle and our mothering and all of those things I just became more and more interested in well what's the the, what's the female version what's the female history what's the female biology what's the female evolution And it dawned on me one day, I was looking at a piece of art that I had brought back by a woman who I adore, who paints cowgirls in the wilderness or in all kinds of kind of (laughs) cowgirl positions, always surrounded by animals, always glowing. And I thought, oh, actually, this book needs to be about women. Um, So I phoned um, Julie, my editor at Bloomsbury, and I said, you're going to have to forgive me, but... Now I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And she was like, I think it's fantastic. (laughs) So she was fully supportive. And that's when it really got into gear. Because you you talk about hunter-gatherer societies, which that kind of... Men go off to hunt the big beasts, women stay at home to kind of keep the fire going and rear the children. But that your chapter in the book, there's a couple of chapters, really challenges that. Really? And it's, you know, it's not... That's not my work. That's scientific research work. People are out there re-examining this idea that we have that it was the men going off doing all the adventurous things uh, and the women were at home picking berries and, and breastfeeding. Of course, you know, it makes sense because who were the people... Who were the scientists? Who were the researchers? Who were the people looking at the evidence? They were all men. They weren't thinking about women. There wasn't in their consciousness if you like. So we now have this body of research. We've got new discoveries. We've got new ways of analyzing. So we can look at DNA. We can look at all sorts of different wear and tear on bones and maybe make conclusions about what that means that person was doing. Um, Burial sites have revealed women's 
skeletons buried with hunting tools and hunting all the equipment they would need to butcher a carcass once they'd killed an animal. So there's a huge amount of new evidence being looked at in a much more neutral, less man-centric way um, that reveals our history as women in the wilderness is just as rich as men's. So how recent is this research coming out? It's very, I mean, it's good to see it in your book, but you said it's, it's been out there. You're, you're building on what other people have done, what yeah. other scientists have done. But is this still kind of people challenging are, the scientific community? Absolutely. People are working away. I mean, I think there's, I mean, women are actually allowed to speak in scientific forums now. There was a point at which they weren't even able to do that. So we've come a huge long way when you look back. Um, and we have many, many amazing women's brains working away in science generally now compared to what we had before. I wouldn't say we're still at parity, um, no. but we are certainly working towards it. I also do a lot of work with National Geographic and the amount of National Geographic explorers that I work with because I do some coaching there with storytelling. There's so many women now. And there was a time when that wouldn't have been the case. But now it's not at all unusual to see a female National Geographic explorer, for example, out there in the field doing tough work. Jeff, I really want to come back to that very shortly. I'm just going to talk about your career, because you've people, listeners will know you from Tomorrow's World, from Children's yeah. TV, from lots of nature programmes. Have you noticed that change then, that there are more women involved? Absolutely. Because it was perceived as something women weren't physically equipped to do. There is, I mean, let's not shy away from it. It's dangerous in the sense that women are more vulnerable to, you know, sexual violence, say, uh, sometimes. And so I think that there's been that historically, but things are changing. The women have partly become more brave, but there's also just a change of a paradigm shift to say, there's no reason you can't do this work. Oh, that's right. There's no reason I can't do this work. And, and off they go, you know, <laughs> which wasn't there before. It was just a given that women didn't do work like that. I see it. I've seen it myself through my decades in the media. Such big shifts from the way that women were talked to. Even just coming here today to meet you, I was listening to on the radio, the way that firefighters have been treated in, I think it was Wales, you know, the comments that they were having oh, the to endure. Stuff yeah. yeah, and we're talking about that now. There was a time that was just put up with, put up and shut up, you know? But now we talk about it, and now we say the word that was used was abhorrent. But yeah, there was, I think, a time where women could only be in this field with a man. Yeah. And, and as a sort of, by that very fact, push to the background. Yeah. The man is all, all spoken to first. The scientific community probably just looks to the... Absolutely. I mean, do you have advice... I mean, I was going to say advice for young women getting into it, but actually your book is advice for all... And I say advice advisedly in the sense of it's not a book about advice, but it's a book about lived experience. Which hopefully then inspires. Yeah, yeah it's helpful. And hopefully celebrates first and yeah. foremost but also inspires anyone of any age. Actually, perhaps let's go back then and talk about, because 
just the first chapter really smacked me around the gob because I just, <laughs> it was so personal and honest and open and a lot of pain. A lot of pain and so your a common experience. Of, absolutely. Of, I mean, it's a common experience. It's marital breakup. Yeah. We're talking about that. Um, and and actually, when you nail it down even more, it's grief. Yeah. Which we will all experience at some point in our life. And we will all have to find a way through. See, I don't think I've read a nature book, nature writing book. And I've had to read a lot as an editor of a magazine. Thank you. That deals with heartbreak and grief in that sense. It's got grief of loss, but not heartbreak. Yeah. And I think that's really... It's really it's brave. Rough. Yeah, it's yeah. It's re- it, I struggled with putting it out there, but it was going out there in a sense. It was just coming out of me, and it was so much a part of what I was experiencing. Because much as intellectually I was searching for our place in nature, I was also clearly doing it on every level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. I was looking for. Cracky, what is it? What are we all here for? What if it's not love? What is it? You know, if it's not my marriage, what is it? And I think always through my life, the natural world has given me a foundation and a bedrock, if you like. And particularly when you get into wilderness, your place is very clear. (laughs) Your place in the world, you know, all of the storms of your grieving or your whatever it is you're feeling, you know, your ego maybe, I don't know, is put in place. Perspective. It That's right. It just makes right. you feel sort of, okay, yeah. Because you, so you talked about wilderness in America, where you come home to a sort of wilderness. Yeah. yeah I mean, physically, your garden that, and your, yes. <laughs> your land that had all sort of otters and kingfishers yeah. and everything. It was quite sort of sad to read about that it had all just not gone to waste it just I know had and to be re- rediscovered it was metaphorically for me it was right there in my face you know this huge life metaphor thwacking me around the face <sighs> with brambles and there was another part of it too which was I can't ask other women to be vulnerable with me and honest with me if I'm not prepared to do the same I felt that very strongly and then, and then when I really boiled it down and thought, oh, you know, I was beating myself up about being self-indulgent. But when I boiled it down, I thought, well, look, everybody experiences this at some point. Everybody has grief. Everybody knows these horrendous heartbreaks, these horrendous disappointments, these horrendous moments in your life of, wait a minute, this wasn't the plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. How have I ended up here? Um, you know, we all have them. And so... And, that and, gave and me a bit more your, strength. Beyond your control and not your fault and that sort of thing. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people will... Men as well, actually. I mean, I read it. I'm a guy and I... Well, I'm, and I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. Because yeah. what I did... I didn't want to be writing a feminist tome. I'm not bothered about that. I guess I am a feminist. I'm, you know, I'm, but I'm more of an equal, equalist, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so it was refreshing for me to hear that you as a man also found it something that you could relate to. I have to squeeze through another little gate here. Another There's water bit. all round, giggling water, through the... water everywhere. So a lot of books have been written about nature cures and nature helping with mental health, but yeah. I found that you kept 
not pulling back from brink. You kept, you had, you're very matter of fact about this isn't woo woo. This isn't. Um, I'm not going to hug trees. Right. I'm not going to. So tell me about that approach because <laughs> you must have read all the kind of, and you must have had plenty of people you've met over time who said. Oh, yeah, just get out there and the trees will talk to you. That's Absolutely, and the spiritual aspect. And I don't discount that, look, you know, and I talk about Women Who Run With Wolves, which is a very spiritually based book. I don't discount it, but it doesn't shift me. And it's certainly in that state of heartbreak and grief. It wasn't bringing me anything. It wasn't doing it for me. What does is when somebody says, there's all these feelings and there's all these spiritual leanings that we all have but also look at the science there's also the science and for me we're in this era where we're really discovering so much science behind things that we already suspected whether it's quantum physics or you know biology or whatever you know even just the research on on wolves that have shown us that possibly wolves grieve the elephants have PTSD, for example. You know, all of this new science that's all around us, revealing to us things that are on a level we already knew, but we explained away sometimes with spirituality, sometimes with just an emotional knowing. We didn't know how we knew, but now we know how we know. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're going to... A lot of this sort of spiritual, spirituality may be just a forerunner of what we later find out scientifically exactly. is the case. And exactly that. And I, you know, for me, that's always what I needed. I was feeling my way through it all. Like, how can I feel better? How can I feel better? What will make me feel better apart from just the process? And the more I explored the science, the more I was thinking, this does make sense. You say things are getting better and there is a sort of, it's getting a bit more progressive and people are, that equality that you talked about is appearing in some areas. Do you have advice then for young women and women who sort of perhaps reach their 50s, menopause, feeling like, what is the point? What what, what do I do? What's the sort of, I mean, apart from reading your book. Yeah. uh, Well, yeah, that would be a good start. Um, (laughs) Get it on the bestsellers list. Yeah. And that's really interesting, in fact, that you said that because I was doing a big speech for the Women's Institute not long ago. I was actually in final edit for this book. We were just finishing off the last bits and bobs. So there was no publicity about it yet. And a woman put her hand up in the Q&A and said, can you write a book for women about the natural world? I want to inspire my granddaughters. And I went, ah, funny you should say that. And and I was able to pull out the proof copy from my handbag and say, it's done. I've done it. It's coming. So I think... It's a time at which we're definitely looking at the younger generation, as we always have done. And women of my age particularly have just spent, usually if they've had a family, a decade or more thinking about everyone else before themselves. It's what we do. And you do come out the other side and go, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Uh, Who am I again? (laughs) Who thought about me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Especially in my situation. And so... It is a time where also the menopause, yes, it kicks in and it is vile. It's horrible. It takes you really out of yourself. But with HRT, with modern knowledge about how to take care of ourselves better, diet, exercise, all of the things that we are fast, you know, opening up to everyone talking about, we have a new lease of life. 
So it's what we do with that now. It's can we still make our way? And so you're battling, I guess, two things. You're female and you're older. But again, more and more, I see that not becoming a problem. Even, let's face it, even in Hollywood. That's, that's interesting. And also the, that your chapter about how there was a scientific reason for perhaps for the grandmothers to become mm. involved in rearing and it was more effective use of resource than breathe, yeah. than, than having more babies. Yeah. Better to but help, use the help, wisdom help your daughters. Accumulated. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so you are you know, you're helping your genetic line more by not having any more babies that you've then got to give your attention to, but by using the wisdom accumulated over generations. And we know this is the case for us, and we know this is the case for orcas. I was so excited to see if there were other primates that this was the case for, <laughs> squelching through we the We are mud, really right? going through. No, this is... Oh, um, my producer, Jack, loves a good squelch. <laughs> so, yeah, Here, this is for you then, Jack. Yeah. We are finding no evidence in other primates. Oh, really? Oh, that's that curious. There there's, is there's menopause. Menopause. That menopause has evolved in the same way. Only in orcas and fin whales. But not other it's whales. It's intriguing, yeah. Oh, extraordinary. Because, I mean, well, the thing is also with humans, as I kind of allude to at the end of that chapter, well, I mean, it's a downright disability for a while if you are struggling. Um, well, it seems such a kick in the everywhere it's not fair yeah. i mean um, there's no fair about it yeah. for sure but yeah but, but there may be a biological reason for it or a yeah. evolutionary reason for it absolutely and as i said you know orcas are in the ocean so surely do they not even get the hot flushes and the night sweats that debilitate us so much maybe they've got you it know. Sussed. They've got it sussed. <laughs> i want to ask more about your own as we wander back, your own kind of love of nature and the places you like to go. We're a British podcast, although occasionally I do nip over to France for a bit of, a bit of something different. <laughs> um, but yeah, places in the UK and wildlife that you particularly, wildlife experiences. Maybe we'll start with wildlife experiences. Are there any that, obviously your otters and kingfishers sounds absolutely magnificent, but something that's happened out in the wild, something you've seen. Well, I've always been a watery person. I love the water, whether it's rivers or, or sea. That's, now, what is that, that we're hearing? That's the call of the um, narrow boat. Um, <laughs> rope tightening, or something, I don't know. It's something odd yeah. that doesn't normally inhabit these parts, but yeah. I can see some fields over there. Strangled cormorants. Yeah, I think it's uh, something that's not native. So for me, it's, you know, it's a lot of my wildlife passions are around water. So they've been otters. They've been the orcas up in Shetland. I you just, lived in Shetland for a bit. Just a, well, we had a house there, and the plan was to live there, and then we never ended up being able to do that because we ended up with the move to Jackson as was quite a surprise yeah. in Wyoming. So we ended up there. Was that a job that came? Up there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But we spent lots of time as a family up in Shetland, and my favourite was. I mean, always the otters, but the the orcas were just always so exciting. And still are. Now with Facebook, we can follow their progress. I, you know, I know when one's had a baby. It's so nice to be able to share that all over the world. So you saw them quite regularly up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. 
quite often. I know lots of people who've been there and blanked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But then we were there a lot. Yeah. And that's the key for any wildlife spotting. You've got to be there a lot. You can hope for an occasion, a one-off that coincides with your timing. Of well, course you can. Regular and it listeners does will, happen. Regular listeners will know we've blanked many times. Yeah. And then occasionally <laughs> we do we do get the rare species. Yeah. Or we do, and then it's magical. But yes. And that's part of the magic. There's no guarantee. It's not a zoo. Yeah. Um, you know, that's exactly part of it. Yes, because it makes the finding so much richer. Yeah. And more. Yeah, I totally get that. And this wonderful sense that it reminds us of that nature is doing its own thing. And yes, we have huge influence on it, but there are animals out there deciding where they're going to sleep tonight, what they're going to eat today, where they're going to go today. They're doing their own thing. And to witness that is very different from witnessing an animal who's there because we decided it should be there. Or seeing a very edited sort of slot on a, on a big natural history show. Yeah, and as much as I love natural history programming, of course I do, there is a danger also where actually the real natural world starts to get a bit boring. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> because you're why not can't, seeing those amazing why things. Why can't I see inside that buzzard's nest? Yes, exactly. The, yes, I've come across a few bird, birders who've been very disappointed because the bird that they travelled all the way down from to see wasn't there. We were promised. Yeah. Bearded tits. Yeah. And, uh... and people would go to Yellowstone and I'd often hear, you know, comments like, what time do they put the bears away? And, you know, where do the <laughs> really, bears yeah. come out? And that kind of Excellent. stuff. Like, it's not a giant zoo. It's real world. Yeah. So if there was one place in the UK that you... Obviously, you've got this, and it always sounds so wonderful, the place where... Yeah. where you live with the river you haven't seen it today it's <laughs> muddy it's overgrown there's a ton of gardening i'm maybe i make it sound too idyllic but it, there's a ton of gardening that needs doing in the mud and um, various repair jobs as anyone will know who's got an old house uh so sure. yeah you can never repair it stay in the real world yeah you can't you can't keep up with it uh, how far are you, i mean you're you, you on top of the, the stuff now because in the book you come back and it's <laughs> it's chainsaws in rivers yeah and it's very energetic it's, recovery of your land and how far have you got down that route or are you sort of is it still just a work in progress it's a work in progress and it always will be to a degree but it's better than it was for sure and do you feel the place is just yours now or do you feel i am interestingly well in one way i guess you're referring to i'm saying, saying you built that together so, with someone yes and, um, yes and now you're there well you still have you've got kids at home still or yeah yeah, yeah. In a sense, my overriding feeling is it's never mine. It's somewhere you just look after for a while, somewhere like that. Yes, I wish more people would think like that. <laughs> yeah, the ghosts of the past are there too, yeah. but actually, and lots of people have said it's not healthy, you should, you know, part of moving on. Actually, do you know what, in one way, part of it is learning to live with those ghosts of the past. They're there, and can they be a comfort, or will they always be a torture? Well, that's up to you. So I've got one last question, and it's sort of more general environmental question, which is, if you had the metaphorical magic wand, what would you change about Britain and, and its sort of approach to... If there's one thing you could immediately say, let's get that done. We need to protect the network of wildish areas that we have. When we have these beautiful 
you know, patchworks across the UK. So we have the national forests and, uh, you know, say the new forest, for example, is a good example. But we have them, we have these places. They're not as big as they need to be, really, to sustain wildlife. So we're talking about national parks, so yeah. AUNVs, yeah. that sort of thing. And that's, and that's our first port of call, is maintaining that protection, not allowing new builds, all the rest of it. But also looking to what we have in terms of green spaces that, that link those places, whether it's a network of gardens, whether it's a network of bicycle paths that we can plant alongside. But the link between those places, particularly for things like butterflies, we have various bodies in charge of various bits of the patchwork. But I don't see one body or person or any one person responsible, any one kind of lead figure of some sort responsible for looking at, okay, what have we got? How can we keep it linked? And how can we keep it protected? It seems to be so piecemeal. And, you know, particularly when it comes to still seeing our green belts invaded by housing estates, you know, what more can we do in cities to transform old buildings? What more can we do to prevent that? Sort of brownfield sites. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and our rivers are vital to our wildlife network. You know, they are the lifeblood that runs through and we need to be doing we're we're too far behind oh, i mean i know i yeah. know lots of work is being done but the way that we treat our rivers is abhorrent just here actually where we where we met two rivers there's a confluence between two rivers mm -hmm. one is literally topsoil yeah coming off the these lovely somerset hills or whatever it is the, well, it's just there's so much agricultural land around um, and I see it every day well, you know, well, especially you... at the moment because it's raining every day yeah. I see it every day pouring brown off the fields right off the fields right into the river sometimes off the fields into the road into the river and we have to make amends to that we have to plant you know barriers to that we have to think really hard about how we're using our land and yes okay you know farmers have to make a living and they really struggle as it is but they're the stewards of our land on the whole and we have to enable them to do the right thing to plant buffers for the river so that that runoff isn't going straight off the field all of those chemicals straight into the river we have to think about tree planting strategic tree planting and again Stop building on flood meadows. Yes, exactly. We need We're on our flood, flood meadow meadows, here, yeah. right? We need our flood yeah. meadows. Nice and flat so, land that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you can see why it's happened. <clears throat> but but we need a bigger picture to put those things into place economically, but also, as I said, strategically. If I had the magic wand, that's what I would do. There would be one person whose job it was to coordinate all of that. You need like a sort of benign dictator. Yes. Who's um, who, yes. Can, who can work across not just regions but countries, Wales, Scotland, because that's sure. also an issue. With no, absolutely. Two different bodies, three different bodies. So, are you do you consider yourself hopeful for the future? How do you see? Mm, well, depends what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard on a grey, grey Wednesday in February, but 
there's more. Look, there's more. Your book is very hopeful. My book is hopeful because I'm generally a glass half full person. So I will look at, you know, if somebody's horrible, for example, I'll look at all their good points and think, well, they were just, you know, that's just one of their bad points. But on the whole, they're great. So I'm, I do that with, that's my approach to life. Because I think... The sort of howling of... Howling <laughs> it's not of, a wolf, I'll, let, I'll tell you that. It's dog, boat dogs. Well, that's really mournful, isn't it? It is. And there's a cor- oh, no, 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 I thought it was a cormorant as well. It's a, a log. twig, yeah. Oh, my oh word. dear. That's the mournful sound of the haunted boats of... It's a dog who doesn't want to be right where he is right now. No. Would you... Would I'm less you... hopeful about the human condition, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> not that, That's very you know, difficult to solve. Nature's full of hope. <laughs> the human condition, not so much. What about the sort of specifically wolves in the UK, would you... Ah, well, and again... I'm very much of the opinion we don't have enough room. We literally don't have enough room for wolves. If we introduce wolves into Scotland, they'll be in Manchester in a few weeks. They travel vast distances. The dispersers do, for sure. And they need big places, spaces, but they also need big animals to prey on. And we could maybe, they would adapt by having living in small groups eating small um, small prey, surviving in that way. But it wouldn't be a natural wolf population. They'd have um, to adapt so much to be... To, to... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that they would be compromised too hard and cause too much damage and end up being managed, yes. you know, as a consequence. Uh, well, here we are looking at floodwater. This bit of the river doesn't look quite so bad as the other bit, but it's... Um, it's managing all this sort of stuff. Hope yeah. for the future that we can come and swim in clean waters. And, and yeah, I mean, there's no way we could swim in this today. No. But it is, it is paying attention and paying attention to why we really, really need it as humans. It's not just a nice thing that we have on our doorstep. You know, this is the stuff of life for us. And what's your next project, just finally? So I've got some lovely children's non-fiction projects. Uh, coming up oh, yeah nice. okay. which i love absolutely love uh, and i love doing the children's talks that go with them they're they're great fun and we've been working really hard on the podcast so your podcast again is called... it's called conscious and again it's just that way of inspiring hopefully interviewing all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life about what they do to make a difference to inspire us all to think actually I could just do this small thing instead of being overwhelmed yeah yeah dealing with that anxiety that people have yeah yeah well you can listen to conscious after you've listened to the podcast yes. yeah maybe after two episodes of the podcast <laughs> Philippa thank you so much it's oh, been brilliant so hearing nice. from you and reading your book was, and was getting out here right it's know, been lovely gosh, even on a day like today when it's not that tempting it's still lovely have to do it have to do it there we go encouragement for everybody Don't let the weather keep you indoors. It was brilliant to meet Philippa, and I'm sure we'll do more podcasts together. And having read her book, Wild Women, I heartily recommend it. It's such a personal, honest account. And I, even even as a guy, I got an enormous amount from it, not just understanding the challenges that women face in nature conservation, but also some good wisdom of how you tackle life's ups and downs, particularly as you get older. And 
fundamentally. It's a reminder of the enduring healing power of the natural world. So yeah, brilliant. The last chapter in particular, little tear in my eye. Wild Woman is published by Bloomsbury and is out now. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please, please do leave likes, positive feedback and other nice things on whichever podcast provider you use. And you can contact me and the podcast team on editor at countryfile.com. You can email me on that. And the very best emails, the very best sounds, whatever you send us, we'll read them out on the show, play them on the show, and the very best will receive a book from the podcast library. So please do get in touch. But for now, that's it from this week's podcast. Join me again next week for another adventure in the wild outdoors.